We're in the text of, of Mark 7. And we move into the section now in, in these two chapters where uh, we are returning to the collision of the uh, teachings of Jesus and who Jesus is against the religious leaders of the day. Uh, the last time we saw that conflict was all the way back in chapter 3, and Mark left that for a time to be able to discuss the nature of the kingdom, discuss what it looks like to be a disciple. And, and that big idea of discipleship is going to continue through the whole book. But as that idea of discipleship is put forward, what you see that Mark wants us to look at is this collision that the opposition, these religious leaders, Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, what they are having against Jesus. And it's pretty interesting to see the problems that they are having with Jesus because it becomes a reflection of what it means to be a true disciple in the kingdom of God. You will notice in the first couple of verses that the Pharisees and the scribes have a really big problem with Jesus and a big problem with his disciples. It's pointed out that they see some of the disciples that are eating with hands that are defiled. And then it's pointed out that they are unwashed. And before uh, you get too excited about that, it's important to recognize the difference of what they are doing versus how we look at it today. What they were doing then was not about science. For us, we're like, well, you obviously want to wash your hands a lot because we know about germs and we know about all these bacteria and viruses and cooties and all those kinds of things. And so you need to wash your hands all the time. That's why you take a shower every day and wash your hands as frequently as possible, especially before you eat, because we know about all the microbiology. And if you want to know more about that, April will tell you because she got her degree and all that and makes us have to clean everything very carefully because all those things exist that you can't see. That's not why they're doing that. And you'll notice that Mark is very careful to throw that out there very quickly in verse 3 and say, this is about a tradition of, of the elders. This is about ceremonially being unclean. It's nothing about germs or things like that, but the belief that you needed to essentially wash carefully every kind of utensil, as is even described in verse 4, and your hands so that you wouldn't be defiled in some way uh, if something had gone wrong as ceremonially defiled some, some utensil or you would touch something that would be cause you to be defiled or any such thing like that. You would do the ceremonial washing of your hands to make sure that none of those things would be defiled. And what then the Pharisees see is that his disciples don't do that. They don't see them going through this ritual process. They don't see them upholding the tradition the elders had handed down to them over time. Now it's important to observe that there is nothing in the law of Moses that said that the average Jewish individual needed to ceremonially wash his hands and, and wash the utensils and wash all the vessels and pots and cups and things like that to make sure that nothing was, was defiled. Uh, that's not, not the, the, the issue at all. It was all about something that was handed down. It is even speculated that the reason the basis by which these rules came about was because you see the priests and in the law... I can't compete. <laughs> Poor girl. 
One of the reasons why you see that this law, this this commandment that these traditions were being handed down by the elders was because in the law of Moses, you can see that the ceremonial washing was given to priests. It was something that they had to do before they would go in and do sacrifices and do their various works within the tabernacle. You could see that they had various washings they would have to do. Remember, there was this big bronze laver that was out front. And so one of the speculations is the Pharisees may have looked at the requirements given to the priests and said, well, that should apply to everybody. If it's good enough for the priests, then it's going to be good enough for everybody else. And I think it's pretty interesting the mentality that the Pharisees and the first century Jews had. One of the things that they wrote in their Mishnah is that they basically claimed that their interpretations about the law and the things that they were saying they were supposed to the people were supposed to do like this tradition of washing of hands and things like that well that was received and passed down by Moses yeah. that was all the way back there interesting declaration of course that's not true But they wanted to say, well, that's what Moses said. That was his interpretation way back there about these things. And that's why we do all these things. In fact, those religious teachers were even very brazen. Sometimes we think, you know, we say, well, they were putting a fence around the law. Well, they actually said that themselves. (laughs) That's not us laying that upon them. They were protecting God's law from the people. By putting a fence around it and saying, okay, we want to ensure that you do not break any of God's laws. And so in this regard, we're going to make sure that you are not defiled in any way possible. And so before you eat and before you have any such activity like that, you need to wash your hands and cups and pots and dishes and all those kinds of things. And that's going to make sure that you stay clean and you don't break any of God's laws. That's the basis by which this is coming about. Notice what Jesus' response is to them after they bring up in verse 5 the question, why do your disciples then not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Verse 6. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if any man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So Jesus was clearly thrilled by what they're doing. This is a really forceful declaration that that Jesus gives here. In verse 6, how he begins is particularly striking. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. I want you to think about that for a minute. Was Isaiah talking about these first century people when he spoke those words? No. (laughs) No. 
He's talking about the problem Israel had back there in 700 B.C. when he's prophesying. And I want you to notice how Jesus uses Scripture for a moment. That what Jesus does is He says, you know, yeah, Isaiah was talking about them, but He's also talking about you. He was prophesying about the things that you were going to do, which is an important lens for us that we use over and over again when we study the Scriptures, is that Scripture is not something that you just hold in historical context. And you go, well, that was really interesting what God said to those people a really long time ago, and it has really nothing to to say to us whatsoever. I've observed to you so many passages like in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 10 that say, these things were written down for your instruction. You know, sometimes we read these things and go, they were written down as examples for us. True. But they were actually written down to teach us. The instruction is to us. And notice that that's what Jesus is doing as he opens his discussion to them. As he says, you know, Isaiah was talking about you. He doesn't say, you know, Isaiah was talking about them and you're sir doing the same thing. But he was talking to everybody and warning everybody throughout all time that you better watch out about this. And so he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? And notice the big word, hypocrite. Even today, that is like a bad word. (laughs) You know, you do not want to be called that. And what is interesting is while the other Gospels use this word quite a bit, this is the only time Mark does. And so Mark wants to draw your attention to this passage very clearly and very carefully because it's the only time that he calls them hypocrites and says there's something really big here that I want you to see. And as you know, the idea of a hypocrite is just you're a pretender. You, you, you say one thing, but you do another. You're, you're just simply fake. You're, you're false in that. And so he says to them, Isaiah was talking about you pretenders. He was talking about you guys that were play acting out here. And now notice what he does next. He says in verses 6 and 7, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. One of the big ones he just puts forward. You seem to say all the right things, but your heart is far from God. And not only that, because your heart is far from God, notice he says, your worship to me is useless. It's completely vain. If I could bring in last Sunday night, Numbers 26 to 30, that idea of worship right here. Worship is everything to God. And here he says, you make it look like you care about God by the things you say, but because your heart is far from me, your worship is completely useless. Your worship is utterly vain to me. And then notice how he pushes it even more in verse 8. You leave the commandment of God. You go, wow, that is rough. Well, that's not enough. Verse 9, rejecting the commands of God. And if that were not enough, verse 13, you make void 
the word of God. How many different ways can Jesus say you are wrecking what God has said? You honor me with your lips, but in the process of what you are doing, you are leaving the commandment of God, rejecting the commandment of God, making void the word of God. Ultimately, you're nullifying the word of God and all that you're doing. And the problem ultimately was their hearts were far from him and their worship was vain. And what I think is particularly interesting about that is they wanted to look like they had this high regard for Scripture. They had this high regard for God. In fact, that's what the Pharisees were all about is they were a very separatist group. You know, we are the pious ones and we care about the laws and you should look to us to tell you about how you should do things and very scrupulous in the details of of keeping the things of God. And here Jesus comes along and says, you're actually nullifying God's word. You are destroying the word of God. You are keeping your traditions and you are doing the things that you think are important while in the process then making void the word of God. And you'll notice he uses an example of that in verses 10 through 12. A really interesting scene there, an illustration where Jesus says, the law said to honor your father and your mother. And in particular, the idea that Jesus is putting his finger on is the financial honor to them. You're supposed to financially care for them. But here's what you do. You say, I'm going to dedicate all this money that I would have used to care for you. It's actually going to be dedicated to God. And it wasn't that they turned around and gave it to God the next day. That's not the idea at all. As you put it in this phantom box of dedicated to God and you used it all you wanted to but it's dedicated to God I can't bear to to give you something and take care of you because I've got this realm of money that I need to keep to myself and it's kind of dedicated to God and you can't touch it it's that invisible box nobody can use but I can, I can use it and that's what he's saying there is verse 12. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. You bend the rules and are so concerned about your laws and your traditions and your rules. You have no idea what God actually said or what God actually intended. And I think this passage is a critically important passage for us. This is a trap that is so easy to fall into in the zeal of attempting to be faithful to God, to put forward traditions and rules that are not what God says. It's easy to do. I want to point out as we think about the applications of what Jesus could be teaching us in this is first deal with, uh, I think, a really important issue that shouldn't have to be dealt with. But today, I think it's important that we talk about it for a minute. The idea of tradition itself in and of itself is not a sin. And here's the reason why. If you do anything twice, you have a tradition. I mean, once you do it the second time, there you go. 
Uh, we used to do worship all kinds of different ways here over the times that I've been here. And Sunday night, we used to have... Long time back, the the Lord's Supper was at the very end of the, the the worship. Now now it's in the middle, and you'd say, "Oh, we've had this tradition." Well, you just haven't been here long enough to see that it's it's been flip flopped all over the place. The way we do the Sunday morning service is different than the way it used to be ten ten years ago. We 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 do things differently. There is this idea that is existing in, among Christians today that says, "Well, if it's something that we've always done, we just need to blow it up." Whatever it is. And so if it means meeting in a church building, well, we need to get rid of that. Well, we'll just stop doing that. And if it means doing the Lord's Supper the way we do, we just need to get rid of that and completely change that. There is a a, a thread that sometimes people grab onto that we just need to eradicate all tradition. The problem is not that you changed it, but that you just created a new one. And now your children are going to come along and say, well, that's been the way it's always been. They're going to want to blow that up and change it back to probably the way it was in the first place. And they'll think they came up with something new. Tradition in and of itself is not the problem. In fact, Paul over and over again talks about scriptural tradition, speaks well of them, and talks about how I've given you these traditions that you are to keep because they were biblical traditions. They were, they were good. That's not what the issue is that Jesus is targeting. If that's the case... We would have just no idea what would be happening every Sunday. Like next Sunday, you'd have to come and you'd all sit forward and have to stand in the back just to break the tradition of the being that I stood in the front. I mean, you would just, where do you stop with that kind of thinking? Tradition's not the issue. The issue is what happens is that tradition becomes elevated. That the way we do things becomes elevated as if. That's God's law, as if that's the only way to do it. Ultimately, I believe there's two arenas that we should talk about this morning in the terms of tradition and the sin that tradition can lead us into. can lead us either into hypocrisy or lead us into legalism. Let's talk about legalism first. and We have to define that because there's a term that gets thrown around a lot too. Uh, Unfortunately, in the world today, legalism is often defined as well, you say we have to do God's law, you're a legalist. That's not legalism. That's a terrible definition. No, that's obedience. That's submission to God. That's not legalism. What Jesus is doing in talking about the idea of legalism is that you are elevating your human traditions to the level of God's law. That's what you see going on here. It is not just simply a mere concern. Well, why are you washing? But there is a condemnation that these Pharisees have of Jesus and his disciples. How dare you not do what we have always done? The way it has been handed down by the elders. In fact, they'd probably argue all the way from Moses, even though it's not written down. And we've always done it that way. And that's the way it needs to stay. And I think it's interesting in thinking about this, you know, how often we can read passages like this and we can say, boy, those Pharisees were terrible. They had all these rules and all these traditions and they did all of these things that weren't anywhere in the scriptures and they kept them. And boy, I'm sure glad that we never do anything like that. I would like for you to think for a moment how many rules have been created that are simply not in the scriptures. Either that you've seen in your own lifetime or heard other places 
or your parents told you about, or your grandparents told you about. Uh, I'll give you a small list of the ones that I can think of over the generations that, that, that I'm a, a aware of. There's been things said, uh, you know, Christians can't listen to music, men can't have long hair, women can't have short hair, women can't wear pants, all dancing is sin, can't use playing cards, can't use dice, all alcohol is a sin, wear your Sunday best, definitions of modesty, go back to the priests and use the same thing, and we'll make that our definition of modesty, and go on and on and on about all the different rules that have been used over time to say, well, here's the rules. And the problem is, it's not in here. You come up with all these things, and why are these things come up for? Because we want to put a barrier up to make sure you don't actually cross the real law. We want to be careful... So that you don't break any of God's laws, we will create these boundary of rules to keep people out. And these are just a few of the historical ones that existed. And we come along in our day and time and go, well, we thankfully have knocked all those sacred cows over and we don't believe that anymore except... It doesn't take long to be around other Christians and see what people say and write and realize we have the same problem, but we just have changed what the issues are. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. Boy, there's a fiery debate over if you could read Harry Potter books or not. <laughs> it's like, well, we're going to have a big cow about that, whether that's right or, or, or that's wrong. Christians argue vehemently over homeschool or public school. You know, there's something to fall out over. Uh, clearly that's found in the Bible all over the place and you can you can weigh in on that because the scriptures say so and yet Christians have a big deal about that and will be like well what are you doing that you would dare fill in the blank send your kids to public school or you would dare keep them home and you're you know ruining them or what, whatever it is that the argument is things today boy guns are a big one you see Christians all over Facebook you know going nuts at each other on those things environmentalism the economy socialism capitalism now we've got the national anthem I'm amazed at watching how Christians argue with other Christians over things uh, like this and put them under the terms of godliness we put these things under a devotion to God I want you to see that's exactly what these guys were doing. Aren't we devout? Because look at us. We wash our hands and we baptize even the dining couches and we wash the cups and the utensils and the pitchers and look at our great devotion to God. And we look at that and go, that's ridiculous. And then turn around and argue the exact same things, not over dishes, but all kinds of other issues. And couch it under devotion and godliness. If you were godly, you would carry a gun everywhere you went, or wouldn't carry a gun anywhere you went. If you were godly, you would never send your children to public school. Or you would never, ever consider homeschooling. That's how it's couched. You know, godliness is clearly capitalism in America. You know, and anything else, that's, that's godliness. It says so right there in Second Hezekiah 3. Hope you find that verse. 
That's what we do. And I'm hoping that we will see that this is exactly what they were doing. This is what Jesus is saying. Is you are creating rules or pressing your values in such a way as if that is godliness when it's not found in God's word. And it is should be a huge concern to us. It should be frightening to us. But I'll tell you what is frightening to me is we can be so concerned about how other people may let go of a commandment of God, but we are not as equally concerned when someone adds one. We will get bent out of shape if somebody subtracts something from God's law. But if somebody makes up a rule for godliness, eh, all right. That's why Jesus is so strong with His words. You're nullifying the commandments of God. You're making it void. You're leaving the commandments of God. If you subtract it or you make up something of your own that is not what God said, you've left God's commands. And it is curious to me that we are so willing to fight against the subtraction. But we are very willing to add all kinds of boundaries and ideas and rules and good ideas and elevate them as godliness and say that's the way things are without any scriptural authority in the slightest. That's what Jesus is dealing with. I'll push it a little bit further because why not? We do that with Bible teachers. And please don't ever do it with me. It doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter if Brother Brent said blah, 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 blah. If it's not here, who cares? And it doesn't matter what preacher said it. I don't care how respected, how long he's lived, how smart he is, how many degrees that he has behind his name, what college he went to, or what church he preaches at. Those things should be completely irrelevant to us. All that should matter to us. Is that what the Word of God actually said or not? But unfortunately, we can be swayed by that. When I was young, I had a, 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 an older Christian and he'd bring me over to his house and he'd make me watch preacher videos. <laughs> and the reason he did that, unfortunately, was not because of the content of the sermon, but because who was preaching the sermon. And so it didn't matter when I would try to discuss with him and go, I don't agree with that. Well, this guy's been preaching for 40 years. And at that time, I'd been preaching like two and I just was like, okay. Is God's word the only authority or not? That's what Jesus is boiling this down to. Is what he says that we hold in our hands the only authority or not? And friends, it is so important that we make sure 
that we govern our worship and govern our life by strictly the Word of God and not good ideas and not what we think personally would be good devotion to God without any scriptural authority and putting that forward to other people and say, well, here's the way you ought to do it. That is not what God wants. If we do that, quite simply, we've sinned. It is absolutely a sin for us to put forward any rule, any boundary, any idea, or any concept that is outside of thus says the Lord in between these pages of Genesis to, to, to Revelation and say, well, that's devotion to God. Because think about what the Pharisees were doing. Everything they said had a good idea behind it. It wasn't like they were coming up with ridiculous stuff. They're just putting up rules to help make sure that you stay safe. We don't want anybody crossing lines here, so let's let's get an extra ring of rules around it. Make sure that we keep everybody away from, from that. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. Because you elevate your own laws and your own rules and your own ideas to the very same level of the rules that God gave. And what you say is, well, the only way to keep God's law is through the rule and through the lens that I've created. That's the only way to be a Christian, is the way I say. And it's not found in God's Word. That's the idea of legalism. The other side is just as important. Hypocrisy. This is the other big problem that exists in the realm of what Jesus is dealing with. We allow our traditions to not only become legalism or become these rules that are not found in Scripture, but we also allow traditions to turn into hypocrisy. What we mean by that is we turn faithfulness to God as simply a series of do and do nots. That's what faithfulness is to God. What happens is, is that there is a focus that is on the rules rather than a focus on God. It's not about knowing God. It's not about knowing who He is. It's not about knowing the relationship that God desires with us and what that looks like for Him to live with Him. We boil it down to, well, just tell me the rules. Just tell me what I need to do and not do. And the laws of God become separated from who God is. We don't care about who God is and knowing Him. Just tell me what I have to do and don't do. Just boil it down for me. 130 characters or less. Give it to me. What do I need to do and not do? just, Just give it to me shorthand real quick. That's all we want. And that's what we end up doing is we boil God down to certain compulsory acts. And you've heard of all of these kinds of compulsory things. We'll boil God down to, well, all you need to do are the five steps of salvation. I didn't realize it was that easy. (laughs) That's not the whole sum of salvation and what it means to be a child of God. Just, you know, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Oh, you're done. Okay, boil it down. You know, we don't need all this. God could have given it to us in a paper. Just, you know, one piece. It would have been really easy. We could have folded up in our back pocket. 
we do that. This is the idea of hypocrisy. Is I don't want to know God. Just boil it down to simplicity. Five acts of worship. Where did we get all the fives? I don't know how five came along. Historically, it was always five, all these five things. Well, we've worshipped. As long as we knock in the five things. In the five acts of worship, was there anything in there about was your heart there? <laughs> Maybe that should have happened. The one act of worship. Is your heart engaged to God? That's the big deal. Oh, we don't want to talk. No, we need these compulsory things. Faithfulness to God is going to church, taking the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about more about why we're a member of a church of Christ and not a member of something else and completely remove ourselves from the knowledge of God. This is hypocrisy. This is exactly what Jesus is dealing with is people who are so focused on the laws, they have no idea who God is. I want us to see for a moment why that is a really big deal. Why that would be so important. Do you want your spouse to love you out of obligation and duty because they made a vow and said that they would? You know... Every anniversary rolls around and you say, Honey, the reason I'm still here, because I have to. (laughs) I made a vow, and I guess I'm going to keep it. You realize that's what we do with God. We're not engaged in relationship, it's what are the rules? Okay. Believe, repent, trust me, baptize. Okay, God. What's the next rules? Okay, Lord's Supper, prayer. Okay, saying, all right, rules. Got it. Okay. Uh, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery. And uh, Okay, got it. You know. No relationship is a love relationship if all that it is built on are rules. I would love to hear somebody's marriage vows go like that. I would love to hear one like that. That'd be fantastic. I promise, you know, before you all that I will go to work Monday through Friday, every day, eight day, you know, and just go through all the rules. And I promise to take out the trash and I promise to help with the kid. You know, just, just make it all about the rules. Let's not say love and cherish and care. And, ah, what are the rules? I promise to do the dishes. I promise not to leave my towel on the floor. You know, whatever it is. That's not love. It's not a relationship. Friends, how how many times does God have to say to us, I want your heart, I want your heart, I want your heart. All over the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, it's not a New Testament idea. This is the way it's always been. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want the rules. He doesn't want just, you know, drudgery, obligatory rule keeping. He has no interest in that whatsoever. Joel 2, 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Stop the nothing external. Don't go to church. Give me your heart. He's not pleased if you say, well, I'm here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to worship God. I don't care, but I'm here. 
God says, I don't want that. Tear your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. He wants relationship with you. Friends, that's what makes this God so different from pagan gods. Pagan gods were all about the rules. Step wrong, the volcano god goes off. God wants relationship with each and every one of us. What Jesus is trying to show about discipleship, what the big point is, is that disciples who belong to Jesus and his kingdom uphold God. They don't uphold their own rules. Their concern is for God. It's not about, okay, well, just tell me what the rules are and please separate them from God altogether. Here's why. You've experienced it, so have I. All the radical external changes you try to make in your life are still going to be external changes before God. You try to do all these externals differently. Does it change anything? No, you still keep having all the same problems, following all the same sins. External things don't fix the heart. External changes don't get to the heart of the problem. They don't address the spiritual problems. What God is always trying to tell us is, I want your focus to be on the heart. That's what God looks at. That's what God is considering. That's what God weighs. That's what God understands is what your heart is about your whole being. And I submit to you that needs to be the focus because that's the only way obedience can come. If you focus on God and having a relationship with Him and truly getting to know Him, obedience is going to follow. But if you focus on obedience, Jesus says, your worship is useless and you are in hypocrisy. See, yes, God wants obedience. Saying that God focuses on the heart does not mean, okay, well, God doesn't care what we do. Yeah, He does. But what we do is we focus then on the external and forget to focus on God and forget to focus on who He is. It's like turning your marriage that started off as a love marriage into making sure you don't leave the towel on the floor, making sure you put all the dishes away, and making sure you take out the trash. That's not a beautiful marriage. And we do God the same injustice. We focus on go to church, five elements, five steps, God our things. Okay, God's happy, right? Not if you don't have your heart. Not if it's not about knowing God. Not if it's about you not having a relationship with Him and getting to know God. We need to make sure that we understand that when we create rules and we put forward things that are not, here's where it says what to do or not to do or how to do it, we are letting go of the commandments of God. And I'm very unbending about that because it's interesting to me that Jesus just puts the peg right here and goes... Watch out when you add anything to what God says. 
you start making rules, creating boundaries, changing what God had said in any way, you're letting go of the commandment of God. You are leaving it. You are denying it. You are nullifying it. You are making it void. And your worship before God is absolutely vain. There is a reason why Jesus said that all of the law hangs on these two premises. Love God. Love your neighbor. Obedience all flows out of those two big ideas. When you focus on those two ideas, those two relationships, you'll do what God has told you to do in terms of salvation, in terms of worship, in terms of life obedience, in terms of every aspect of your life. But don't get lost and forget to focus on God and loving Him. We're going to sing a song now and we invite you to come to Jesus. Please realize that as Jesus said this, he is talking to people who are the religious. These are the ones who care about God the most, who seem to be the righteous, who seem to be the pious. That's why this lesson that he gives them is so devastating to them. I wish I could keep going. It's not even done yet. A couple of Sundays. Just wait. Oh my. He's not even done. Read the, read the rest of it, you'll see. Because it's so easy for those who are striving to do God's will to turn God into rules, to turn God into boundaries, and lose sight of relationship. And it's so easy for us in our zeal to try to love God that we say, well, let's just make a bunch of rules to keep everybody from sinning. And that's leaving the commandments of God as well. Focus on God. And focus on what He actually said. And let's strive to do those things with all of our heart. Can we help you come to Jesus this morning, turn away from your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and enter a relationship with Him this very morning? Won't you come?